On today's show, retired Navy SEAL and first-generation rancher Greg Putnam on his ranching start and his work in bringing veterans into the ranch industry's workforce. Plus, if you own a ranch, you manage a ranch, you want to do either or both, well, today's rancher needs to have some business knowledge. Dr. Rick Machen with the King Ranch Institute joins us to talk about that. And for 75 years, the Society for Range Management has held their annual meeting. It's coming up in February, and we'll get an update on this year's agenda on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. everyone, Justin Mills here with the Working Ranch Radio Show, your host, and we appreciate you tuning in here. Today's episode is episode 55, and if you're listening on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM, thanks for tuning in here. We are here every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern, and of course, for those listening through a podcast provider, thank you for downloading the program. We appreciate that. Don't be afraid to also leave comments or share the site, share a podcast if you are so inclined. Klein, we appreciate all the support from everyone listening to what we have going on out there. And I know for, for myself, uh, as I ranch here in northeastern Wyoming, I can tell you a lot of the times I am trying to pull out subjects and pull out topics that I think are relevant to our industry. And so today we're going to be doing things just a little bit different because if you are a normal listener, then you'll know that a lot of times I just I kind of get to one topic and we spend quite a bit of time going in depth on that. But today we're going to be covering several different things. It's kind of that season where we have a lot of things going on. I know earlier in the uh, this month, I was down in Oklahoma City for the second annual Cattlemen's Congress that took place down there. And here in just a couple weeks or so, I'm going to be down, or in a week or so probably, I'm going to be down in Houston for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's annual meeting that will be taking place down there. And excited to see folks from all across the country in that. So we've got a lot of stuff going on. Another event that's coming up in February is the Society for Range Management's 75th annual meeting that's going on. It's going to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico this year, and Mary Jo Burncott, Director of Membership and Outreach for the SRM, she will be joining us to talk about what's on the agenda for this year. And also, stay tuned because she's going to be talking about uh, their Producers Day. It's an event that goes on during that annual convention that is uh, has some great topics that they're going to be doing on that. So uh, be sure to be listening. We're going to be having Mary Jo come up here later in the program. Also on our program today, retired U.S. Navy SEAL, first-generation rancher Greg Putnam will be joining me. Now, I caught up with Greg uh, down in Las Vegas during the Working Ranch Expo and sat down with him about what he's doing. And folks, uh, he's proud of the fact that he is a first-generation rancher and he's not not uh, embarrassed about that. I know a lot of us, whenever we talk about, well, our ranch is a fifth-generation ranch. It's been in the ranch for 100 years. Greg is a gentleman. He's a retired U.S. Navy SEAL and he is proud of the fact that he is getting into the ranching industry. And, and you, I think you're going to enjoy his story. Plus, get to hear about how he 
is is bringing veterans, providing an opportunity for veterans to get to, to provide some labor that want to get into the ranching industry or provide work uh, the workforce there. And we're going to hear about that uh, that outreach that he's doing there with veterans as well. So that'll be again that'll be retired U.S. Navy SEAL and first generation rancher Greg Putnam, and he ranches out of Montana. Also on our program today, Dr. Rick Machen will be joining us with the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management, and in today's ranch industry i i know there just needs to be some element of business to what we're doing i know maybe that's not in the wheelhouse for everybody but there there's an element of that that we really need to understand and dr rick machen will be joining us to talk a little bit about that and also what the king ranch institute for ranch management is doing to provide that educational source for folks out there that a either you own a ranch maybe you're a ranch manager and you're wanting to kind of get a little bit more on your resume to be able to have more opportunities. Well, here's a good way to do that. And we're going to be talking with Dr. Rick Machen about that. So that's all on today's show. Plus our, our uh, regulars that we have on here, the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine will be by in just a few moments for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. And in our final segment today, meteorologist Don Day joining us with a look at our long-term weather. So as you can see, I'm going to take a breath right now because we have a lot going on on today show. I would like to thank our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. From internal traits to terminal traits, the genetic merit of Simmental Genetics has provided increased profitability to the rancher. Sim Genetics profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Also, the American Hereford Association, come home to Hereford. And the North American Limousine Foundation, limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line. And finally, the King Ranch Institute of Ranch Management. Well, it's time now to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, folks out there. The March issue of Working Ranch is coming together nicely. We've got a special report by Casey Atkinson, and she's writing about the President Biden executive order on promoting competition in the American economy, which talks about the uh, the, the plan to uh, get out from underneath the big four packers and all that stuff. So I'm really excited about this. Uh, Casey talks to Patrick Robinette, the U.S. Cattlemen's Association Independent Beef Processors Committee Chair. She talks to uh, Ethan Lane, who is the NCBA Vice President of Government Affairs. She has a word with Dr. Russell Cross, a professor in the Department of Animal Science at Texas A&M, who has spent many years with the meat industry. She also visits with Terry Fankhauser, the executive vice president of the Colorado Cattlemen's Association. And as well, she talks to uh, Juliana Potts, the president and CEO of the North American Meat Institute. And I'm telling you what, this is a great report. It it's very balanced. It gives us an idea of what these um, these folks are thinking about this plan. Some are for it. Some are against it. It's a very uh, comprehensive report. I want you guys to be looking for it in the March issue of Working Ranch Magazine coming out here in about three weeks. It ought to be in your, in your mailboxes. Back to you, Justin, in the booth. 
Yeah. All right, you bet. Thanks, Captain, for the heads up on that. And I myself am looking forward to that article of Casey's in the March edition of Working Ranch Magazine. Well, stay with us coming up. As we said, we got a full agenda of things today. We're going to get first with retired U.S. Navy SEAL and first-generation rancher Greg Putnam to talk about his start in the ranching industry and his work with veterans and getting them as part of the ranching industry's labor force and how you could be a part of that as well. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's a competitive calf market and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Fatirity from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire. So, the proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here again to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills, your host. We're glad to have you here with us. And if you joined us in our first segment, you know that we have several guests on our program today, so I don't want to dilly-dally around. We're going to first go to a gentleman I caught up with recently during the Working Ranch Expo that was held back in the first part of December of last year during the NFR. Greg Putnam is our guest. He's a retired U.S. Navy SEAL and a first-generation rancher, as I said in our introduction here in our first segment today. And Greg, thanks for joining us today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail introducing you because I think you do a much better job of that. So first of all, kind of tell us about yourself and how you got started here. Yeah, sure thing. So I uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania and um, grew up in, a, in an area there that used to have a ton of farming and, you know, a big agriculture base and just kind of locationally where it was, that started to go away um, kind of over time. And um, during, uh, my time in college, I started to, um, go out to Montana cause a cousin of mine played football, uh, for the Grizz and I always kind of had a place out there. And as I went out there, I just really loved that area. And, uh, the first chance we got to, to move out there, we, we did. And I used to do some outdoor guiding and, um, pack trips and a variety of different things. And then my wife and I worked, uh, for a ranch in Idaho. And that's kind of where I'd say the seed, um, within that space got planted. One thing I'd always wanted to do was serve the country in the military. And I'd, I'd always wanted to be a Navy SEAL and I had an uncle who was a SEAL. And so I, uh, that there's a time frame on that where, where that door can shut. Um, and it's an age based time frame. And so I was having a great time with what I was doing in my career, you know, within that space and in Idaho and Montana at the time was going well, but I just couldn't shake the uh, desire to want to want to be in the military. And so um, I got a contract to uh, to have an opportunity to at least participate in SEAL training where they'll, they'll give you a shot and then it's on you to, to be, you know, successful or not. And a lot of people aren't. But I was fortunate enough to make it through that. And then I spent um, almost 10 years um, on active duty in the Navy and our goal when uh, when we started was to to be back out west, and whether that was you know our goal was to be back in Montana primarily, but if we you know Idaho, Wyoming, um, really anywhere out there, and we wanted to raise our family there. And um, when I came back, 
you know, I, I had come out of the SEAL teams and one of the things that um, I definitely was missing was, you know, the kind of camaraderie and teamwork, but also a job where, you know, it was skills based, it was people based and a good friend of mine um, had a had a friend that runs a big ranching operation and they were nice enough to invite me up. And uh, the minute I started going up there and just it started helping those guys with calving and then, um, you know, helping them, you know, move cattle and gather and different things. And uh, we kind of made a deal that uh, as long as they would help me improve and answer my questions, you know, I try to come up as much as I could. And, you know, over that time period, I tried to get up there a lot and I felt like I was able to at least build enough of a foundation. And we did some shorter term cattle and some lease stuff. And then we finally got to the point where we kind of had an opportunity to do it. Um, the door was kind of open enough and, and re- was able to walk through it. And we're still learning every day, but felt like we had enough of a foundation to to get started. And, you know, with the help of some some really great people uh, in the space, we were able to get that going. And yeah, we started a little about cattle company officially uh, last October and had our first year this year and it went really well and despite the uh, super dry conditions and not an easy year to get started but um we did really well and our you know our our cows look great and our uh conception rates were high and our our you know management program um you know just on on grass and rotation went really well and so yeah that's how we kind of got started and where we're at Mm -hmm. So with the Little Belt Cattle Company that you guys have started, what, what's your goals with it? What do you, where do you see it in five to 10 years as, as you try to expand and grow that operation? Sure. Um, so we're real big into the uh, kind of that regenerative space on our, our grazing planning. Uh, I think, you know, we bought, we basically put our deeded stuff was three separate properties that we put together that were in different stages of overgrazing, undergrazing. And I would just say, you know, different, Poor management on some, decent management on other, but but not managed as one property. So we really focused a lot on putting a really good grazing plan together that not only would be good for the cattle, but would be good for that property. And we also were figuring out what our true carrying capacities were and, you know, what, you know, how many, what our water situation was. And in this first year executing that plan, um, we learned a lot and the good news is though, we actually had a plan to know where we kind of started and how to adjust. And if we had to come off something early because of, you know, just lack of water, we were able to know kind of, okay, we have this much time. We actually put cattle back on stuff in the fall when we got more water back. So I think over the next, you know, five years, we'll dial in what that property can actually do. We're also figuring out, you know, that as we, if we pick up more leases or something that might not mean adding cows, but maybe we bring supplemental yearlings in and uh, we are trying to move kind of more to a direct to consumer um, model to a certain capacity. We love the the two main programs that we supply beef into. We think do an awesome job. And so I'd like to really continue to do a good job for them and become, you know, a producer for those programs as well. That, that starts to build a reputation as, you know, always kind of producing and, and providing high quality uh, product for them and doing it in a way that's good for our property and um, and also good, you know, overall for the industry. Mm-hmm. One of the things uh, as we talk, we've talked about your operation now, but one of the other elements to what you're doing is trying to work with other veterans in getting them involved in ranching. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. So we, as veterans ourselves, started to see these massive parallels between 
military and in ranching. And like I was speaking about earlier, you know, your, your veterans come from a background where it's a job task completion industry, not a time based industry. So there's no five o'clock we're done in the military and there's no five o'clock we're done, um, in, in agriculture. You know, the other thing is military, whatever the environment is, you're working. There's no, Hey, it's raining, it's cold, it's this, it's that. So folks get very well suited, just like folks in agriculture of just, you know, getting out there and completing the job that needs done. Um, we, the community aspect of folks working together is very similar. And the family aspect, I think there's, there's very few industries out there anymore that have the family aspect and buy-in and support across all family members to make it function and work. And folks from the military understand that. And as we saw these parallels, we started to think, you know, what a great industry for transitioning military where everybody's kind of in this labor crisis or this, you know, where, where do these industries go in the future? And veterans need opportunities and jobs. And I think as they develop the skill and the experience that they may not have, you know, I think they could be a, a small solution to a larger problem. And in my opinion, you know, who better to, to give opportunities to than people that, that protected and served this country for a long time. Now you mentioned you were working with a cooperating ranch in Wyoming and, uh, that, uh, element of developing that curriculum of, of how a ranch would host this veteran. Uh, how did that come about? Sure. So we worked with Montana state university to really help, I'd say professionalize kind of a curriculum of, yeah. of what a hosting ranch, uh, cause for our veteran interns, depending on where they're at in that transition process, uh, the the first veteran we had came through a program called Skills Bridge, which is a it's a you're still active duty, but they actually you know you're you're working for the ranch while you're on active duty with the idea of when you got out there'd either be jobs or like a university program that you could go into. So Montana State's been hugely helpful and supportive and has a great veteran community and helped us really professionalize. So a rancher could say to us, "Okay, I want to participate." How do I do that? Well, here's kind of what the expectation is. Here's the skill set. And they helped us put that together. Um, and then we also can say to the veteran, here's the expectation of you. Here's what the ranch provides. Here's what you need to provide. And our goal is to help some of these ranches fill some of the gaps that they have in staffing and also provide opportunities. And we'd like to see that, you know, we're started kind of right now in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, locally, and we're hoping to see that expand. And we're hoping if we can build a program, you know, and kind of professionalize a program with the university that other people start to real, to, to say, Hey, there's value here on both sides. And I think any good partnership has to be good and mutually supporting. And, uh, in the military, we'd call that, you know, mutually supporting fire positions where <laughs> if you and I are working together, uh, I'm covering, you know, your back and you're yep. covering mine and it doesn't work for one of us to be successful and the other one not. And we've adopted that into this kind of idea. And we just see, honestly, a lot of blue sky. And I, I have not found an industry or a community that I've been prouder to be part of than my military service, than being involved in agriculture. And it's something I've always wanted to do. And I love it. I really do. And the people that have helped us and supported us, there's no way I could even thank them. And the people that have taken us on board, oh, don't do it like this, try this, you know? Yeah. And, and military guys are good at that. They have an open mindset. They're used to being trained and they want jobs that they feel good about and they want to work with people they feel good about. And 
I can't think of a better space to be honest. Yeah. And, and for me personally, and the folks that we've helped, you know, kind of move in that direction, we've had nothing but positive feedback on both sides. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting when we were, when you were presenting and one of the questions that came to you was the, the mentality of, of what we're dealing with is somebody that's receptive to training, receptive to learning and figuring that out, which bodes very well with what you're trying to do. That conversation, that answer to that question was, I thought was a great answer that you were saying that I think gives a, a rancher some mindset that they're not going to be dealing with somebody that's going to say either A, not ask a question or B, no, I already know how to do that. Sure. And I think somebody else was talking about the fact that you occasionally run into folks that are, they're almost scared to ask the question because mm -hmm. they don't want to be seen as inexperienced, where some of the most value I've found is if I go work um, at a partner operation or another operation, one of the first things I say is, hey, I've only seen this a few times. I've only been taught how to do this once or twice. Would you show me how you guys do it? And the learning I've got, if I see a guy who every time, you know, he goes in the corral, you know, he ropes something and brings it, and, it, and the guy is every time, and I'm watching him going, wow, I want to be like that guy. I'll go up to that guy and say, hey, what are you will doing? you watch me a little bit? Will you give me some pointers? And most veterans, or at least the communities I came out of, are very, they want to be good. And they've got no problem saying to somebody that's better than them, will you show me how you do it? And I think that bodes well from both sides. And again, there's things I learned that just the job has to get done. And I go, well, nobody's ever taught me this. I'm just going to figure it out. And then somebody else who's far more experienced than I am will see me and go, oh, that's one way to do it. Or don't do that. Do this. <laughs> and I go, oh, great. You know, and, and that experience alone, you know, number one, you're never bored with uh, when you wake up in the morning on, mm -hmm. on you know, oh, I'm just going to do the same thing over again today, which I think keeps it fresh. And, and I think, again, for myself and, and guys that are kind of like minded uh, and gals like me, that's big. And there's a lot of jobs today that, you know, that doesn't have that. And you just sit in front of a computer all day and you kind of do the same thing every day. And um, I think in this space, you know, I just, there's so many parallels to the military community. It just, it, it it's a, I think it's a great addition to the agriculture community and it's a great opportunity to the veteran community. You bet. Well, let's take a break here. Greg Putnam is my guest, retired U.S. Navy SEAL rancher in Montana, Little Belt Cattle Company, but also we've been talking about their program, trying to bring back veterans and put employ them in ranching situations and the work that they're doing on that. We're going to talk more about that and how you could be a part of that program when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Ka-ching! More pounds, more calves, more profit. Studies show Hereford Genetics increased net profit by $51 per cow per year. That's $20,000 in additional revenue for a typical 400 cow outfit. And calves sired by Hereford bulls continue to add value through the chain. A documented $30 per head in feedlot profitability. That's real money and real results. Get more ka-ching! Come home to Hereford at Hereford.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills, your host. Thank you for joining us here. We've been talking with uh, rancher Greg Putnam out of Montana with the Little Belt Cattle Company. He's a retired U.S. Navy SEAL and a first-generation rancher. And, Greg, we've been talking also about the program of trying to get veterans involved in the labor force for the ranching industry. And I know you said that you're kind of focused right now into Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. However, if you're someone 
one, you're a rancher, really any any part of the country, whether you're in California or in, you're in Oklahoma or you're in Florida or whatever, if you have a ranch and this is something that you might be interested in, how can they get a hold of you guys to get more information and maybe be a part of this program? So, you know, for us locally, it's a little bit easier because but we've reached out to a lot of, you know, ranches that we know and said, hey, would you consider doing this? And we've gotten great feedback. The other thing folks can do um, is reach out to their, you know, local bases or there's there's transition support programs. We work through one with the Marine Corps called Skills Bridge. So a rancher could potentially reach out to like whatever their kind of local or closest military base is and say, hey, who handles your transition uh, mm-hmm. support programs? And does anybody focus, you know, kind of on this agriculture space? And I think the more, you know, when we started doing this, um, you know, I probably have a hundred emails right now of folks on the veteran side that are interested. So the interest is there and now it's just building out and, and what we're hoping to do with the university is, like I said, help kind of professionalize this. So maybe nationwide, these skills bridge programs start putting out to, to their communities if they had somebody that was a good fit or interested. Um, that's probably the best way, uh, to do it. We're happy to, you know, to support if somebody has a question, uh, Um, If you send something through kind of our info there, that generally goes my wife or I, and uh, we're happy to try to make that connection or get you in touch with the SkillsBridge folks that we use. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's not a way, there's not a set program. There's not a, hey, just go here, and that's where we're trying to help sure. is streamline that process. But we'd love to see this get to where, you know, more veterans get involved and engaged in more ranches you know, support bringing them on. And again, I think we could be a small, a small solution to a bigger problem of, you know, this, this labor thing, but also just in improving the overall community by adding better and, and just good solid members mm-hmm. to, to those communities. Absolutely. Well, Greg, I want to thank you for joining us here on the working ranch radio show. And before we you sign off here with me, I guess, any final comments about, you know, your operation and as you're, as you're going forward here? Yeah, no, I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you guys uh, having us come out and, and supporting us. And if anybody's interested and we try to be pretty open and honest about our operation and what we're doing. And, um, you know, again, they can check out us out online at www.littlebeltcattleco.com. Um, we're on Instagram, and my wife kind of runs that, but sure. we try again to show, you know, hey, we're new, we're learning, <laughs> and we'll show you some guys of, of, hey, here's some some lessons we learned, and, um, you know, but we also try to be, you know, honest and and kind of showcase. Um, we're proud of what we're doing, mm-hmm. and we're we're building something, and, um, you know, I'm very proud to be a first generation cattle rancher, and I hope that uh, I'm the start of a multi generation sure. operation, and I'm hoping that. As we progress and grow, you know, that gets carried down. I hope my kids are interested and um, I hope we get more people involved. And again, we just can't tell you how much we appreciate all the people that have, have reached out and helped us. And the fact that you guys considered having us come out and talk about our experience and we're proud to be part of the community. And um, I'm excited about the future of agriculture in this country. And I think it's one of the biggest things that just plays into to what makes America great. And I'm just from the military to now to this. I'm, I feel very fortunate to be part of a, you know, a community that I think brings a lot of value. 
All right. Well, our guest today, Greg Putnam, president and co-founder of Little Belt Cattle Company, a former Navy SEAL turned first-generation rancher in Montana. Thank you for joining us here on our program. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And again, that's Greg Putnam, our guest today on the program. By the way, that website, if you want to find out more about what they're doing, it's littlebeltcattleco.com. Well, stay with us. Don't go far. We still have a lot to go on our program. Dr. Rick Machen with the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management will be coming up next. We're going to be talking about the increase we're seeing in the industry of folks going back and getting a little bit more education on the business side of the industry and why that's important. Dr. Rick Machen will be joining us to talk about that. Also, Mary Jo Foley-Burncott, Director of Membership and Outreach for the Society for Range Management, will be joining us later on to be talking about what's coming up in their 75th annual conference coming up in February down in Albuquerque. And finally, in our last segment today, meteorologist Don Day joining us with that look at our long-term weather. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as limousine today, profit tomorrow. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills, your host here, and I'm pleased to have our next guest joining us as we talk about uh, the importance of of ranching today uh, beyond just the the production elements and the and the animal science and maybe how we grew up in in understanding agriculture and ranching. Uh, now we really need to kind of get a business mind about it. And one place that is is doing that, the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. I'm pleased to have uh, Professor uh, Dr. Rick uh, Manchin joining us. And and uh, Rick, I want you to to talk about as 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 you've seen the dynamics change within our ranching industry. That uh, not only do we need to know how to you know calve cows and and do those kinds of things, or cutting hay, or 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 horse work, and those kinds of things, but we really need to start to get a business sense of of how we can move these ranches to the next generation. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. Thank you for the opportunity to, to visit with you. Uh, on the show today, and and you are spot on, at least in our opinion here at the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management, uh, regarding what the the skill set that today's ranch managers uh, need, and and obviously uh, you nailed it. Whenever you talk about as you characterized our students, uh, whenever they come, they they pretty much have uh, the background that they need in natural resource management, uh, cattle, horses. Uh, all things that we that we really enjoy in the day-to-day grind of managing a ranch and working on a ranch. Uh, and so they come with that complement of, of skills in their toolbox. And what we really try to do is add to their business savvy and their, their ability to, to approach the ranch from a business perspective. So we spend a lot of time uh, on uh, managerial accounting, uh, making the point that, you know, they're – Every ranch has to file income taxes, but income tax accounting really doesn't, can't help you understand uh, really where the ranch is in terms of profitability and certainly how individual enterprises 
whether that's a, a remuda, whether that's a cow-calf operation, stocker, uh, wildlife, outfitting, enterprise, whatever, you just can't get a good perspective on the performance of those enterprises uh, from uh, income tax accounting. So we spend a lot of time with students on managerial accounting, uh, on finance, um, and really trying to drill down on the business side to also include uh, how to manage people. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we don't get a lot of training in as we grow up in the ranching industry. We just kind of follow the lead of whoever's um, older and whoever's mentoring us, whether that's, you know, a, a dad, a grandfather, an uncle, uh, a neighbor, whatever the case might be. And we just kind of learn by the school of hard knocks. Mm-hmm. Rick, you know, one of the things that I, I know that we have folks listening that are, you know, probably in a ranching situation, they, they either own it or they may uh, manage a ranch or they have the interest to uh, being a, a full-fledged ranch manager. And one of the things that really needs to be part of part of your resume is is that you went to that you have some education or you have something inside in this ranch management business world because like you said you know the accounting for the for federal taxes is way different than knowing whether an enterprise is making money or not and and we're starting to see really these opportunities out there where folks can get a continued education in ranch management like what you have going on there oh yeah absolutely so Obviously, we have, uh, you know, a, our program is centers around our students and a two-year Master of Science degree, but we also have our outreach education um, a component, and a part of that is the, uh, the we, have, we offer a certificate in ranch management that really just uh, to qualify for that, you attend four of our lectureships and, and two of our symposia in a three-year period of time, but it gives you the, gives participants an opportunity to pick and choose from the outreach education events that we offer. And there's others uh, around the country too that, that um, uh, offer learning opportunities on the business side. Uh, the be- probably the, the best lectureship that we have that speaks to the topic that we're discussing today, we just finished up um, our Managing the Calcat Business Lectureship, that two-day lectureship that we designed kind of with the camp manager, unit manager, Maybe not the general manager in mind, uh, but we give them a really uh, kind of a uh, 5,000 foot view, if you will, of that business side and help them understand why the numbers, the inventories, the expenses that their manager may be asking them for, you know, on a monthly basis or weekly basis, why those numbers are important Mm -hmm. and how they contribute to, to, to unit cost of production and ultimately to determining you know, is the enterprise profitable? Rick, as as you in, in the last several years, uh, you know, the King Ranch Institute is is relatively new. I mean, the ranch management component uh, is relatively new. As it has evolved, where what have you seen uh, the interest in in this element of what your guys are offering? How has that interest grown? You know, it's grown a, a lot. Um, if we were to look back, the institute was founded in two thousand three. The first cohort graduated. I believe in 2005. So uh, to your point, we are relatively young. Uh, we've got 40 plus uh, alumni that are out there uh, in the ranch world and affiliated industries. But I would say that the emphasis on um, economic sustainability mm-hmm. uh, is profitable. And then I think over the last you know, 10, 15 years, we've really seen greater interest and greater focus on transitioning ownership from one generation to the next. And 
I think that's just going to be more and more critical and of greater uh, interest uh, to our ranching families as the profit margins tend to narrow, unit cost of production goes up. Uh, we've just got to have a really sharp pencil and, and really manage the business side, the economic side, cost and revenues if we're going to keep these ranches sustainable and pass them on to that next generation in a healthy uh, manner such that they can continue the heritage that, that their families enjoyed. Yep, yep, you absolutely nailed it right there. I think is is one of the biggest interests is, you know, I I know for a lot of folks I talk to, we got to get this past the next generation, and we can't do that without uh, having running this outfit like a business. So, uh, Rick, I want to talk about uh, you guys are seeking folks to to get into the master's program right now. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct, Justin. And uh, we only we only take three per cohort. Uh, We're in the process as we speak of accepting applications, and we'll take those applications up until about the 1st of March. Um, For any of those uh, folks out there that are listening that might be interested in our program, uh, we would welcome them to to contact us. Probably the best thing to do is uh, go to the web, and you can just go to any search engine Type in King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. It, our webpage will be the first link that pops up, and you can find they can find out about our program, both our two-year Master of Science program and our outreach education program. Which, as a result of the COVID pandemic, it, most of those events are now offered uh, virtual, so you can participate uh, from the comfort of your home or office or ranch. Uh, but if they just go to that King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management website. Uh, they can find the application, the details uh, about our program, and our contact numbers are there. We'd welcome an email or a phone call from anybody that's interested. Love to visit with them. All right. Well, Dr. Rick Machen, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. You bet, Jason. Thank you, and thanks for all the good that the Working Ranch Radio and, and publication does for the industry. You bet. Dr. Rick Machen with uh, King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management, my guest today. Again, if you'd like to find out more information, if you just type in your web browser, King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management, you will find it, the information right there. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, Mary Jo Foley-Burncott with the Society for Range Management will be joining me. We're going to be looking at their agenda for their upcoming 75th annual meeting taking place the second week of February in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We'll be back with more after this. Animal health is key to your business. So how do you track cattle health treatments? Well, stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here with you. And, you know, it is that time of year where we see a lot of events going on 
all across the country from uh, shoot stock shows to industry association events and so forth. And one such that we're going to talk about today coming up in February is the Society for Range Management 75th Annual Meeting. And joining me to talk about it today is Mary Jo Foley Burncott out of Oregon. She is the Society for Range Management's Director of Membership and Outreach. And Mary Jo, thanks for joining us on our program. You know, this year it looks like you guys are headed south to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So it should feel a little bit warmer than some of us up here in this northern part of the country that's had some pretty extreme cold weather. So it's going to be good to get down to Albuquerque for this year's 75th annual meeting. We are very excited. And yes, looking forward to that warmer weather that we're expecting (laughs) in Albuquerque, certainly. Yeah, well, it's a good time of the year to be heading south. Let's get into some of the uh, some of the events of this. And I guess maybe before we get into some of the specific events that you want to talk about, let's talk about the purpose of this. I mean, 75 years that the Society for Range Management have been having these meetings. And I know it's a collaboration of of folks all across the country. So so give us a little bit more about that. Sure. So the meeting um, aims to bring together land managers, scientists, ag producers, nonprofits, and we go over the innovative research management information um, that's all relevant to rangelands. There's lots of opportunities for networking and bringing some of those, you know, real life skills and uh, applied management uh, of uh, all the science-based information across rangelands to one one place. And so the conference has plenary sessions, symposia, uh, Ignite Talks, which is a, a, a new way of kind of doing these shorter sessions that okay. keep you entertained, workshops, trade show, socials, networking events, all the above. Mm-hmm. So it's in February and it's over the course of about five days or so. I know you start with a board meeting getting first going on Saturday, February 5th, but uh, trade show starts on Sunday the 6th. So you kind of really get things going on Sunday, February 6th. Is that correct? Yep. That's when we uh, typically have the start of our our, um, folks coming in. A lot of our committee meetings take place on Sunday and then we open um, on Monday with the plenary session and and folks really start drawing in at that time. Mm -hmm. And and we're going to encourage you when you get to the end here, we'll give you the website for people to get online and be able to look specifically at some of the workshops and events that are going to be going on. But I know one event that I do want to highlight a little bit, and that's the Producers Day, and that's going to be taking place on Tuesday, February 8th. And there's some really significant things with that, uh, some really great uh, elements to to this year's Producers Day. So give us the details of what it's going to look like this year. Sure. So um, as you said, it's, it's a, d- a day dedicated specifically for producers. And with that is a special one day rate that we're giving a $50. And the way that'll look is the morning will begin with a stockmanship symposia, the fifth Bud Williams Memorial stockmanship symposia. Um, and then we'll head off site for the producers forum itself, um, which is at the expo. Um, following the producers forum, um, we'll have a ranch rodeo, food trucks, drinks, live music, so much more. So we're going to mix a, a, some some good um, information with a little bit of fun as well. Mm-hmm. And like you said, uh, it's just a one-day event. People can, uh, if you if you're within driving distance of Albuquerque, or you're going to go in and be there for the whole conference or not, this is uh, something that you know really is is really targeted for these producers to get in. Uh, you know, when when we're talking about stockmanship, uh, those kinds of things, there's and there's there, it's going to be an opportunity for folks to see those, you know, as it's as we see hands on. 
Exactly. A hundred percent. That those that hands-on element is what we're trying to host there. And and throughout that that's all happening in that one day at that special rate. But throughout the conference, there's a lot of sessions that are would be of interest to ranchers. Um, just looking at some of the topics we have, we've got fire, outcome-based grazing, range monitoring, drought planning, uh, ranch enterprise sustainability, precision, precision grazing, invasive species, the list kind of goes on. Um, so there's there's a lot of events, a lot of sessions that are really relevant to ranchers, um, but that one day is where you really get into some of the hands-on um, and a little bit of fun as well. Okay. Mary Jo, let's talk about, uh, for folks that want to get a little bit more information on this, as we were talking about, it's February 5th through the 10th. Now the main conference is going to be the 6th through the 10th, uh, 6th through the 9th, I guess, in a way. Uh, there's some tours that people can take, uh, be a part of as well. But if folks are wanting to get more information in on this and maybe look at registering, what, how do they do that? Sure. The best place to go is to go to annualmeeting.rangelands.org. We have all this information um, there. It also links to the registration as well. Um, and, and all of that will be listed right there on that website. And the one piece that I'll, I'll add to this is we know that a lot of folks can't make it in person. That's just the reality of, of travel these mm-hmm. days. And so we are actually hosting multiple of these sessions in a virtual meeting a couple weeks later. Um, so we'll record there on site and then um, bring this some of some of the components in this meeting online um, the week of February 21st for some virtual sessions. So that's just kind of a, yeah. a, a little plug here. If you can't make it there in person, there's also that registration available on that annual meeting website. Okay. And I was going to ask you about that. The virtual meeting is going to be February 21st through the 25th. Do they still go to your website? Do they get registered for that as well there? Yes, there's buttons right there that you can click whether you'd like on-site registration or if you would like virtual. Okay. All right. Well, Mary Jo, I want to thank you for joining us here on our program and uh, the best of luck to you guys all. I'll tell you, I'd love to be down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm not going to make it for the SRM meeting this year. It would be nice to be in a little bit warmer climate, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity that uh, for for those, uh, if you're not going to be able to be there, that virtual registration is going to be a great opportunity to see it as well. Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to having folks there in Albuquerque and looking forward to putting on a great meeting. All right, Mary Jo, well, thanks for joining us today here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. And again, that website to get registered or to find out more information about the Society for Range Management's 75th Annual Meeting, you can go to annualmeeting.rangelands.org and that will get you there. Or also search in your web browser too for Society for Range Management Annual Meeting. Well, stay with us. Meteorologist Don Day is up next with a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. As we turn now towards a look at our weather, joining us now is meteorologist Don Day. Don, thanks for joining us here on our program today. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, I, I hate to sound kind of just repetitive on this, but, uh, you know, and, and as a weathercaster, I feel like I should pr- probably tell you, you've been kind of spot on here. And so I'm trying to give you some confidence here because I know everybody criti- criticizes the weathercasters that, that if they're just, uh, they only have to be partially accurate to be, to have a full-time job. So, but, but this weather has been pretty much spot on with what you've talked about and it's going to continue to see these waves of cold kind of coming through. Is that correct? Yeah, this is going to be especially true for the the central part of the U.S. and parts of the east here for another week or so. Uh, That's where the focus is going to be is the door to Canada is open and uh, we're going to be seeing. I don't think we're going to see anything like earth shattering record breaking. But, you know, boy, there is some really cold weather uh, that's coming into the parts of the Corn Belt Midwest. Uh, A lot of snow uh, fell, uh, in fact, well over a foot in many parts of Iowa and parts of the northern plains, and with that snow on the ground and these Arctic air intrusions, you know, there's many nights of sub-zero temperatures getting pretty far south here over the next week or so, and there's even going to be some pretty chilly weather getting down all the way into Texas, the Gulf Coast. Uh, you know, last week we saw some snow flurries in the Panhandle of Texas, a foot of snow in parts of northwest Arkansas. So uh, winter, you know, after a slow start is starting to ramp up, and we see plenty of winter here over the next week to 10 days. Mm-hmm. Now, as we look towards uh, the latter part of January and first part of February, you had mentioned that the the West Coast was going to kind of not see some of the severity in the cold weather, but we are potentially could see some lows kind of dipping down and maybe bringing back in the south, the uh, the western part of the U.S. a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, December was a record-breaking month in parts of California in terms of rain and snow, just an incredibly wet month that continued into New Year's. But since then, there really has been very little weather in the far western areas and that would include the great basin states as well as the focal point's been more towards the central and eastern united states i think for another week to 10 days it's all about the central and eastern parts of the country basically east of the rockies where the bulk of the winter weather is going to be but a gradual shifting westward of the stormy weather will take place right at the end of january into early february to where we'll be talking about rains and snows again in the far western parts of the U.S., parts of the Great Basin as well, and including parts of the Rockies, while the the, wet, the east coast in early February may have a, an, a, a reprieve. Uh, it may be temporary, but a mm-hmm. bit of a reprieve in the cold weather they're experiencing now. Mm-hmm. Let's get an update on La Nina because uh, that pattern, as you have predicted, was going to start to see maybe that start to fade away. And as we are finding ourselves here uh, looking at the first part uh, in the January, first part of February, what do you see for those temperatures in the Pacific on the water? Well, across the subtropical Pacific near the equator, we still have a lot of cold water off the coast of South America, stretching westward across the central Pacific. But what has happened here over the last few weeks is we've seen an erosion of the cold waters on the far western edge of the La Nina area that we're watching. So that as you get closer to areas north of Australia, New Zealand, near the equator there, the water temperatures have started to warm. And that is an indication that indeed La Nina is in its death throes. Now it's gonna be a, a slow death, a slow process. It's gonna take 
probably a good 12 to 15 weeks for it to, to completely start to really diminish. Mm-hmm. But the process has started, and that gives us encouragement that by sometime spring into early summer, we won't be talking about La Nina anymore. I think that is still, from what we're seeing, is still very much in the cards. Does that indicate that we're going to see a dry spring and a wetter summer? What It's all about timing. And, and the, the sooner La Nina fades and those sea surface temperatures can start to warm up, the prospects for spring precipitation get better. So it's a little bit of a race against the clock. Um, so to, to answer your question, we can see it go both ways. If this La Nina fades and we're starting to see by March, April, and May, those waters get warmer, that could lead to a more wet spring, especially compared to the last couple. But if it's delayed, that La Nina is delayed, we may have to wait for better precipitation in the summer. But, uh, you know, the spring is critical. Yeah. You know, so, so we're, we're, we're still concerned that some of the impacts of La Nina will continue into the early part of the spring, especially for the southern plains. Texas, uh, the eastern plains of Colorado, eastern New Mexico, western Kansas, the Panhandle region. That is an area that if La Nina hangs on for a little bit longer, could still be an area where drought concerns are still going to be quite high. But for the rest of the West, where you know the drought conditions have seen some improvement, but there's still a lot of areas of severe drought, I think those areas will be seeing improvement with this La Nina fading. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us with an update here on our long-term weather. Thanks for having me. And again, that is meteorologist Don Day with our weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com where he kicks out a daily video podcast every Monday through Friday morning. A thank you to my guests for joining us on our program today. Retired U.S. Navy SEAL and first generation Montana rancher Greg Putnam from Little Belt Cattle Company. Uh, He's enjoyed to hear his story and wishing him the best going forward. Also, a thank you to Dr. Rick Machen with the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management and Mary Jo Fully Burncott with the Society for Range Management talking about their 75th annual meeting coming up next month in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks to our sponsors, the American Simmental Association. Find out more at Simmental.org. Also, the King Ranch Institute of Ranch Management, the American Hereford Association. Come home to Hereford. Find out more at Hereford.org and the North American Limousine Foundation. Limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line. Find out more at N. NALF.org. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. If you would like to get a hold of me, you can sure do it by calling or texting the studio at 307 363 COWS or my email is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, don't forget to join us next week. Special guest, Ethan Wayne, the son of John Wayne, will be joining me as we're going to be talking about how he was growing up as the son of John Wayne and his legacy and also their museum in the stockyards down in Fort Worth. Join us next Saturday and Sunday right here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.